Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast, brought to you by Kafaro International. James Orr here, and Bob the Bowhunter Borland. What's going on, Bob? How much, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing excellent. I like to report that it's not raining in Oregon today. I know, and it's it's a nice, beautiful Sunday today. It doesn't happen very often this time of year, that's for sure. Sunny Sunday. I love it. I love it. And we chose to record a podcast today, which I was a little bummed about because I had to cut some of my recreation uh, in half, but it was so worth it because we had Emery from the Byland podcast on today, and we met him at the Portland Sportsman Show last month. And as soon as he stepped into Andy, uh, Dick DeVarchery's booth, he had like this sparkle in his eye and this pep in his step and i was immediately drawn to this guy i didn't even know he was but i was just like man this guy is cool yeah that's because he just got done hiking the pacific crest trail last year and just unplugged from society for six months and uh spent in the mountains so yeah and that that does it to a person i mean for 2000 2000 miles uh and we just go into the trials and tribulations of how that was physically and mentally and how that relates to bow hunting he's also a uh, an avid hunter and has recently switched to traditional archery and we we know we kind of touch on all that and as most of these podcasts go uh, we probably could have done it for five hours or six hours. Uh, we gave you kind of an intro, and we, you know, we could definitely bring him back on in the future. He's such a cool guy. Yeah, like you said, man, he's just—it's one of those guys you meet, and he just has that that sparkle of life in him, man. That's just contagious. So hopefully, you guys got a little bit of that on this one, and uh, we talk talk about through hiking and some of that stuff that you guys might not be familiar with but it definitely if you listen can definitely help lighten up your pack this fall when we're going out bow hunting because it's very rare that you get a guy who is as connected with with the backpacking side as he is um and also the hunting side you know and he's able to to take the benefits of each side and kind of put them together for us so yeah, Hopefully he, you guys he, enjoy it. He bridges the gap for sure. And he's got a uh, a, a special announcement that we're not going to give up. But at the end of this podcast, you're going to find out. I mean, I'll go ahead and spill the beans. Emery's going to give away uh, basically a brand new longbow through the podcast. And the only way you're going to know about how you have a chance to win this longbow is you're going list, to need to listen to this podcast, which... It, it's definitely worth listening to. And at the end of this podcast, you're going to learn about this giveaway and how you're going to have a chance to win a really awesome longbow. For sure. And any of you guys out there that are into backpack hunting or 
wanting to get into it or from back east and wanting to come on out west, don't forget, like, he has a podcast that he covers a lot of that in. So, By Land is his podcast. You can find it on iTunes, any of that. Also, don't forget to check out Kafaru International. They make some of the best stuff there is out there for backpacking, and they've uh, stepped up to help us out. So, enjoy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kafaru International, Aaron Snyder, awesome backpacks made in America, floorless shelters, sleeping bags. They've got all the gear you guys need for these backpacking adventures. We've got Emery Ronald from By Land yep. Podcast. How's it going, man? Awesome. Uh, super good to have you on today, Emery. I'm glad to be here. So you are out of Vancouver, Washington, is that right? That's right. The Vancouver of the United States, uh, not Vancouver, Canada. I am definitely <laughs> in Vancouver, Washington. <laughs> we call that down here, we call that Vantucky. That's what we call yeah, it. Yeah, we call that, that up here yeah, as well. <laughs> so yeah, he's from so, Vantucky. Vantucky. So he's just across the river from Bob, um, just right over the Oregon border in Washington. Um, I call that hipster land for all you guys. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, you got to understand, like the... The, the Columbia River's like that. I call it the DMZ, like demilitarized zone. Uh, there's something between Oregon and Washington that keeps us going back and forth. And uh, Washingtonians use Oregon for all the, you know, no sales tax. And it's great, man. But you can't get anyone to go across. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. That's awesome. It's great. So are you uh, born and raised uh, Washingtonian? I was actually born in Iowa. My fam- my entire family's from the Midwest, but I mean, <clears throat> my dad moved out uh, in like when I was like two. So I basically I don't remember anything about Iowa except for going back to visit grandparents. Uh, so yeah, basically uh, I wasn't born, but I was definitely raised in the Pacific Northwest, same area. Amen. Awesome. Yeah, man. Sweet. So we met you recently at the Portland Sportsman Show uh, up in Portland. Yep. And we kind of known of you. You tell us a little bit about yourself. We know that you uh, run the Byland podcast, and maybe give our listeners uh, an intro to that. Yeah, so I started a few years ago. I started a website called Byland, um, and then this last October, October of 2017, I want to say, uh, right around that time, uh, started a podcast, and it's basically just. I, I wanted to create a platform that uh, helped people get better at backpacking, so I kind of focus on backpacking and and uh, I delve into backpack hunting and also general backpacking. And and in 2017, I I hiked a couple thousand miles on the Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada. So I kind of I'm kind of in the whole just backpacking thing, and then I just want to help people get better at it because it kind of opens and unlocks a b- bunch of doors that. Uh, are traditionally kind of shut if you're not willing to get away from the get away from the road system. So that's what yeah, I'm doing. That's, a, that's awesome. So yeah, we wanted to bring you on today and talk about that yeah. the whole backpacking thing because as uh, hunters out west, uh, a lot of us are into the wilderness and backpack thing, and and that other community, you know, you've kind of bridged the gap between hunting and backpacking. And I think that there's a lot to be learned from the backpacking community and as a whole. And mm-hmm. um, also, I mean, you know, doing the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, that's that's awesome in its own right. Yeah, there's. I think you're right, man. There, there's so many common 
pieces between what hunters do in the backcountry and also what backpackers do. And I kind of think of like the both extremes, like you have like the backpack hunter that's hunting in the wilderness. And then you have like the through hiker that's hiking thousands of miles. And they both have like this, they're, they're both doing the same thing, but for different purposes. And I think hunters have this. And we, I think we talked about it once before, maybe touched on it. Like hunters have this really good sense of the environment they're in. They're like really comfortable being off trail they read the environment more than like your your like average backpacker. Like backpackers just normally traditionally stick to the trail, don't really venture off. And this is like general terms where like hunters, um, whether whatever weapon you're using, um, you know, they, they really like to they, they spoke they spend all their time off trail and so they have this skill set that's really unique where you're interacting with your environment. And so I'm like, well shoot, like hunters are really, really good at understanding the lay of the land and, and backpackers are really good at being efficient. Whereas hunters tend to like bring everything for like a nuclear explosion, you know, and you're like, yeah, you probably don't need like five backups of, you know? and you look no. like, yeah, but so, I like, I like having my kitchen sink in the backcountry, <laughs> a wash machine, right? A dryer. But it's so like, you know, we, I, we, what we do as backpackers is we pack our fears, right? Like, and you're like, well, just what happens if? And so my thing is like, well, I don't know what would happen if. And most of the time it's like, well, I guess I wouldn't. If you didn't have a stove, what would you do? And you're like, well, I guess I would not cook a hot meal. And you're like, yep, you just wouldn't cook a hot meal. And you're like, you just saved like a pound, right? So <laughs> yeah, like, I, I guess it's not so bad. But I was talking to Emery the other day and I asked him, I said, now I run a jet boil. And I always pack like a couple containers. How long does a container last? And he's like, oh, like a month. And I'm like, so I'm bringing two or three containers in for a 10-day trip yeah. uh, out of fear of running out. And, I, uh, you know, that was just a shock. I was like, wow, I'm an idiot. Well, that's, that's a perfect example of like, dude, I was doing that same thing. I'm like, well, uh, you know, before – and this was before. I learned a lot hiking. When you're doing um, – hundreds of miles you know back to back every week um you, you start learning these things you're like you get to try these things out so i learned like oh i guess my fuel if i bring a really fuel efficient stove i don't have to bring a backup canister and you just bring these canisters you're like well what if i do what if i do run out of fuel and you're like you won't unless you're back there for like a month bring a full canister and call it a day like you don't need to bring all this extra stuff and i think that's where a lot of um a lot of hunters kind of go wrong when they're learning to backpack hunt. Uh, they, they just bring all these backup for backups and you're like, well, you're kind of weighing yourself down and there's a really huge downside to the amount of weight you're bringing that you don't really realize until um, you're smoked and you can't get up that ridge at the end of the day. So, Totally. So I know that you also have uh, a background in, uh, as we said, you, you hunt and you've transitioned from the from the compound to the traditional bow, uh, you know, a few years back and your, your, uh, hunt with a recurve and, and all that. And, but what we'd really like obviously is to dive into this backpacking stuff. Like at what point did you, you know, make that commitment to do the Pacific crest trail and, you know, kind of break that down for us, like to the listeners, what the Pacific crest trail is and how you committed to that. And, and take us through that journey. Okay, so it it's actually it's a it's a really interesting. Um, I don't know the, the Pacific Crest Trail first started out in my mind. I remember the first time I ever saw a through hiker 
a through hiker. So the Pacific Trail, let me, let me define it first. Um, there's a trail that stretches from Mexico, the Mexican border, to the Canadian border. It basically travels 2,650 miles, depending on reroutes and stuff like that, um, right up you know, the center of California, middle of Oregon, and up, up through the middle of Washington along the Cascade Range. Ends in Canada. And the people that hike this thing in one season, they're typically called, you call them through hikers. So you're through hiking an entire trail. They don't always have to be, you know, 2,000 miles long. But like the John Muir Trail goes through the Sierras. That's a couple hundred miles. That would be considered a through hike. So basically a through hiker is someone that starts and stops a trail in one go, like one season. So I work in Hood River, Oregon. And every day I live in Vancouver. And every day I cross the Pacific Crest Trail. It crosses right there at Cascade Locks. And Every season, I'd see these through hikers, and my first time ever seeing a through hiker, though, I was like probably a teenager, maybe 16, 15, 16 years old, and we did a, I was up in Mount Adams uh, Wilderness where the PCT goes through, and I see these like homeless people come out of the, <laughs> come out of the woods, <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, you know, 15 probably, and I'm like, what the heck, what are these guys doing out here, and you know, you, you we were on horseback, and and we, you know, you kind of bump into them, and. PCTers are pretty nice, you know, nice, chill people. And uh, we're like, where are you guys coming from? You're thinking they're like coming from, you know, the streets, you know, or something. <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, we, uh, we're coming from Mexico. And I was like, Mexico? <laughs> what the heck, man? That's like two states away. Like, and California is a pretty massive state. And I'm like, no freaking way. And I remember that like moment, like, whoa. It's like you see like this, it's very impactful. Like, it, it's like this moment you're like, that's intense. And it was the same. Like I joined the Marine Corps and spent five years in the Marine Corps. And it was the same thing. Like you see a Marine in like dress blues and you're like, what the heck? And so it kind of just seeps into your brain. And then you're like, well, I definitely have to join the Marine Corps and figure this out. Same thing happened with the PCT is, you know, slowly, slow IV drip of like these ideas. And, and to back up leading up to like maybe a few years before the PCT, I was struggling with the idea of backpacking and I didn't know how to do it and I didn't know anyone that did it. And, and so I was kind of on my own. And when I, I was like, you know, my, I want to go backpacking because I want to get further back for hunting purposes. At the time I was rifle hunting and I'm like, you know, it'd be really great to get further back into the backcountry, but how do I do this? And so I'm trying to interweave this backpacking thing and I'm just doing a really bad job at both. I'm either, either bad at hunting and, or bad at backpacking and they're screwing everything up and, and finally, you know, I was like, screw it. I'm just going to get, I'm going to try and dial this thing. Let me focus in on backpacking and, and leave the hunting out for the time being. And so I kind of dove into the gear, did a bunch of research, figured out how these people are doing this stuff. And then I came across through hikers and I was like, these fools are hiking thousands of miles in a summer. No way are they doing it easily. And turns out like they're really, really efficient. And that's so why I started like this question in my mind, how are you covering so many miles for weeks and days and months on end, uh, there's got to be a skill set there. So, man, and then my inquisitive brain, I was like, how are these guys doing this? I like physical and, you know, uh, mental challenges. And then just felt drawn to it. And one day I asked my boss, I'm like, hey, do you mind if I take a leave of absence? And they were like, yeah, come on back when you're done. And I'm like, sweet. So I took six months off. And in April of 2017, I kicked off with an organization that puts veterans on uh, long distance trails and hiked 2,000 miles of the 2,600 in uh, 50 and learned a bunch of things along the way. <laughs> so you hiked 2,000 miles in, in what was the time period? Uh, five months. Five months. Wow. Yeah. 
And so before you uh, started off, you started in Mexico? Uh, yeah, like 30 steps away from the border. Right. So before you did that, I imagine you, you made some test runs and you changed your gear a little bit. Like how, you know, what, how did you commit to the gear that you started this long journey in and how, how did that change? Well, f- fortunately, the organization I went with, uh, they, they supplied a, a large majority of the gear. So they kind of set you up for success. But even then, I mean, there was a ton of equipment that I ended up ditching. By the time I got to Canada, um, I, I didn't have a, a number of those items or I would replace, I would replace items. Like I swapped out a sleeping bag for, I saved a pound by swapping out a sleeping bag and it made me sleep a little better. Um, but I had an idea of what I would need. But the thing was, is that even, even when I stepped off in, in, uh, Campo, which is the town right there on the border, I thought to myself, I'm like, I've been hunting. I've been hiking. I've been backpacking back home. Yeah, sure. I haven't gone, you know, a thousand miles or anything, but I think I got this dialed in. Like I have everything I need and nothing I don't. I was so freaking wrong. I mean, the trail has a way of smacking you right upside the face. Um, when you're covering, you know, we started out with like 15 miles a day, back to back to back to back to back. And pretty soon you're like, man, I got to start getting rid of stuff. Like my feet hurt. And by the time you get to Canada, I mean, it's so interesting watching what I looked like physically. Um, and then what I look like kind of like when I say physically, not just like the fact that I lost 20 pounds hiking, but, uh, but like my gear setup and what I was using and you look at what I was before and then what I ended with, and you're like, I mean, I sent my pants home. I was just wearing running shorts, and I'm using, you know, I'm just hiking in a T-shirt, and I swapped a bunch of stuff out that, or I slimmed things down, got rid of all these these little itty-bitty things. And and I'm high, even in, even 50 miles from the border, I'm just sitting there thinking, like, what, can, what else can I toss out of my backpack to go even lighter and faster? Because it pays off when you just, the less you bring, the better off you are. So less is more, definitely. How do you yep. go about, for guys that have never done this, like how are you getting rid of things and, and getting new things? And like how does that work along the trail? Uh, well, so along the trail, I mean, m- most of the time you can, there's outfitters along the trail. You can kind of swap stuff out. But like uh, I would I would purchase something and then have my, have my fiance at the time send me something. Or, uh, you know, I was kind of doing that. But if I'm, you know, if I'm like new to, to backpacking, I mean, the, the biggest way that I would decide, here was my decision tree. It, it was like three piles of like, what do I absolutely need? What do I think I need? And then what do I want? And those are three separate piles. Like you, you need a backpack to carry your things. You need uh, a sleeping system of sort, you know, you, you need a sleeping bag or a sleeping quilt, uh, probably a sleeping pad and you can determine which, which is best for you. And you need a shelter. Those are things that you absolutely need. And then you, you need food and water. But inside those categories, you know, you can start dwindling things down, like the type of thing that you want. And so, for example, like I needed a sleeping bag. Well, the sleeping bag that I had uh, was too bulky. Uh, it weighed too much. And I, and I found a Kuyu bag on, uh, you know, their website. And I was like, dude, I can save an entire pound by swapping out my bag, my, my sleeping bag. So I swapped it out. And I was like, cool, I just saved an entire pound on one of the big three items. And uh, so I would do that constantly through the through the process. You know, every week basically I'm in town, getting resupplied, whether going to the store, you know, whatever sent, having box sent. So every town I would every town I would go through all my things and start chucking stuff, 
maybe add something in if I thought it was important. I wanted it or things that I thought I needed, but I didn't like an extra pair of underwear or whatever it was. And yeah, you just kind of slowly get those reps in and you're like, cool. And the further you go, you go up the trail that the real, you, you realize, huh, those things that I thought I needed, I, I guess I didn't really need. Like it's, it's the weirdest thing. And, and you, you've probably experienced it with hunting. You know, you think about like the the things you thought you needed before you switched to a trad bow, you turns out you don't need. Like it's just a different mindset you go into. Yeah, I can relate to that. I remember when I first started, you know, getting away from the truck and really going into these canyons and going deep. I, I was taking the kitchen sink with me. I mean, I was yep. taking all kinds of stuff for a day hunt. I was like, I don't, what am I got all, I got, what do I got a 40 pound backpack on for? Yep. Well, it takes the fun out of it too, right? Like, I mean, when you're hauling over, when you're trying to walk over, you know, rocks and logs and especially off trail, man, I mean, I don't care who you are. When you're covering miles off trail, that thing, that is exhausting. And so y- you have to give yourself the best opportunity to chase game down or to be able to pursue game. If you're overloaded, you're not going to go up that ridge after that bull or that buck that, that you that you know is in there. And that's a terrible, you're going to do all that effort. You're going to go backpack five miles through the wilderness. And then you're just going to get smoked too soon. So in my opinion, it's like, I'm looking at things a lot differently now after coming home and looking at my hunting setup. I'm like, wow, I really need to start thinking about the, I really need to be intentional about the things that I bring because I I don't want to, not that I waste my time, but I don't want to put that effort out into the woods chasing animals and then just end up being like, I don't have enough energy or my knees hurt or my, you know, what does that make sense? Like give yourself a shot by going as light and fast as you can. Yeah, absolutely. So these, the trail has, they're running into towns or you're having to get off trail and hike extra mileage to get into these towns. And then you're having packages shipped to like a post office or, I mean, how does that work? Yeah. Maybe explain a little bit about that. I know there's, there's isn't there there's houses along the way that kind of help you out and just kind of because our listeners aren't super familiar with the through hiking thing maybe just give them an idea of that sure so it's basically all the above um sometimes the trail goes right through a town sometimes it goes through uh an inner like a little like an intersection and there's like stores right on it um but sometimes you are 40 miles from the nearest town and you have to figure out how to get to that town um, hitchhiking. I hitchhiked for the first time in my life. Um, <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, but you, it, it turns out like the things that I thought about hitchhiking, um, were wrong. It also helps that like normally the people that pick you up in these hitchhike, like people that live in the area and that will pick you up, they know that you're a PCT hiker. So you're not crazy. Like PCT hikers look like PCT hikers. Like they have nice gear and they, they don't have, you know, they can tell the difference. Your trekking poles is a pretty good, like, sign that this guy's hiking a trail but so so resupply goes uh imagine you're basically planning for a week-long backpacking trip every single week and expect to be in a town every single weekend and whether you uh hail a ride from you know a taxi if you can get a ta- if you have cell signal or you walk into town sometimes the towns are a couple miles away and you walk into town or you get a ride or you know all of the above and then in terms of getting food um, you, there's a lot of, a lot of people that do resupply packages. So they'll, they'll have these boxes set aside at home where they, they tell someone, Hey, 
send me this package on this day at this location. They go to that, um, they go to that post office in that town that they came into and they, they grab their resupply box. It has everything that they, they thought they wanted, food, whatever they might need. And then they get on their merry way and they go to the next town. So every weekend you're in town and you can either resupply yourself, go into a grocery store or a market. I can, re- I can resupply in a corner market for an entire week of, of backpacking. Um, I've just learned to do that, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually not as complicated as what it looks like on the outside. You just kind of make do with what you have and you, you be, learn to be flexible. But, yeah, there definitely are towns along the way. And it's, you just have to figure out your creative way on how to get into town. Did you look forward to these getting off the trail or did you dread? I, I know like I've done some 10 day backpack hunts and when I'm running out of stuff or running out of time, like I don't want to go back. Like I'm like trying to figure out how I can just never go back. Like, is that something, but, or you, you've got five months ahead of you or three months ahead of you. Like, are you looking forward to the restocking or is that something that, uh, I mean, I know it's a necessity, but like, how, how was that for you emotionally? I'm curious. It was always strange going into town. I think it was like this 50, 50 split. Like the bad thing of going into town is that you know that your backpack's about to get heavier. (laughs) So like usually the last day or two going into town, you're like, my backpack feels amazing. I don't have food in it anymore. And then when you weigh it all down, with food, you're like, this freaking sucks. Like, gosh, I have I have more food in my bag. So it, it, those first few miles out of town, you're like, or the first day or two, you're like, geez, this was a horrible. Towns are terrible. But I mean, I think for the most part, um, you look forward to town as like a break. Like, okay, cool. I, it, it'd be nice to get get a good pizza in your body, or you're kind of you're tired of walking. Like, you're doing 15, 20 miles a day every single day. Uh, you're not at a lake relaxing. You're kind of you're working the whole time. So it's a it, you're working from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep. Uh, you're on the move, and so when you finally get to town, it's kind of like that. That's your day off. You know, that's your afternoon off. And we have two things that you'll hear through hikers talk about, and it's a zero day or a nero, a nero day, and a zero day is no miles, so it's a day off of your body uh, to kind of rest and recuperate. And a nero is you hiked a few miles that day and. It could be two miles, it could be 10 miles, but you, you did a Nero day. So those are really important. I think most people look forward to town just to, to kind of kick off their shoes, soak them, heal the wounds, and then uh, prepare mentally for the next 100 and 120 mile stretch. And did you do this? Uh, you, you said you were making the we comment in the beginning. Did you start off with some people and then end up solo? Or did, did you have people join you along the way? Um, how how does that interaction work um, on this uh, adventure? So uh, there's a lot of people that go solo. There's a lot of people that go with friends. Um, I went with a group of guys that I didn't know, and then you end up pairing off. Like everyone has their wit- strengths and weaknesses, and you kind of pair off. Uh, I ended up hiking majority of the trail with one one of my one of the guys that I started hiking with. And we just we just worked really well together. You know, you get that teamwork. We have the same mindset. We were doing the same amount of miles. We understood. We had the same um, style of hiking, if you will. And so there's that. Yeah, you can link up with people. But 
I met a lot of solo hikers that started out the trail alone. And then what you end up doing is you end up getting in this, what we call bubbles, a bubble of people. And so you're like, everyone's kind of doing the same amount of miles a day and you see them in town, you cross paths with them throughout the day. And, and then you just get to know them and you, it becomes your little family. So, uh, you get into town, you you have beers together or whatever it might be, have some food. And then you see them on the trail a few miles down the road and, and you end up having, creating these really, really incredible bonds with people. It's like, you know, the guys you go hunting with, it's like you go through the same stuff, same season. And you're like, man, you have these bonds that are really unbreakable. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a smattering of solo hikers and, and pairing up with people. But I did hike the last, um, hundred and just less than 200 miles by myself. solo. my, my buddy had to go home early. Uh, and that, that was really special. I, I hadn't hiked solo. I hadn't hiked solo up until that time the, on the trail. And, and I thought it would be, I thought it'd be kind of weird, but it turned out being really freeing and that I could kind of just move my own, my own natural pace. And, and it was really, really interesting. It's like that first time you go, it's like that first time you go solo hunting and you're like, this is super weird, but it's kind of cool at the same time. And you get used to it. So did you start with this guy or did you start with like a group of guys and it did that change? Like, did you figure that out pretty quick? Like, uh, nope, this isn't the, I'm going to, did that, you know, did, did it take a while to figure out, uh, what group you were going to fall into or like, how did that dynamic work? Oh, you find out real quick. I mean, there's, it's like anything else, you know, group dynamic, you, you know, who you're going to jive with and who you're not going to jive with. And, and really the trail takes care of it. I mean, if you're doing this kind of style, then they're doing that kind of style. You're going to separate pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, the guy that I started out with, we just jived right away and it was like two peas in a pod. Cool, man. You got my back. I got yours. And, and when we would get into town, there was a lot of logistics to do. I mean, dude, it's exhausting mentally. Um, it's, it's exhausting mentally and physically, but the mental part, it's not just like making sure that you're moving every single day and through the mountains, but you got to plan, where am I going to get my food from? Where am I going to get water from? Where am I going to get a ride? How am I getting into, getting to town? How am I going to get back to town from town to the trail? And that's exhausting. You're doing that every weekend. Not only are you exhausted from the trail, but you're exhausted from the planning. And you're like, geez, I kind of want to just get back on the trail so I don't have to worry about it. Uh, but he, we did a really good job of like working together. Like, okay, you take care of the finding lodging for us and I'll take care of finding the grocery store and, and finding a ride and stuff like that. So yeah, you just kind of, um, you find out real quick who you jive with and who you don't. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, but uh, at the same time, I know like finding that hunting partner, I, yeah. I know Bob has his, his father and his dad, which is like an awesome dynamic to have, but I'm this guy that's still like, you know, I, I hunt with a lot of different people and there's a lot of shortcomings. Yeah. It's like, it's well, really you, hard. You still have those shortcomings with your dad and your brother, but their families so they're just kind of hoes. <laughs> yeah so it's and, and a lot of times I'll, I'll have a friend that i i i you know i'm excited to go on this hunt with because i'm thinking oh man this is going to be great yeah. and then we get out there and i'm like yeah this is not great yeah so i i don't know i mean that's a really good question what i mean i i have not really yet to find i, I hunt with a number of different people but i feel like we all have kind of different styles and you're right it's really really difficult to find that person that you just click with and you're like, cool. It doesn't have to be said. Um, you just, you're just doing it. It's really difficult, man. And that's, yeah. to be honest, that, that's part of the reason why I got into backpacking in the first place. Cause I was, I couldn't find anyone to go with. that was into it. Like I was like, 
no one had the fascination with it where they were willing to try different things out. And so I was like, well, shoot, I guess I'll just go by myself. I mean, that doesn't sound like fun, but you know, you learn and, and you try and get people to go with you and you try these different things out. And, and really I looked at the PCT as a way to enhance my hunting. I know that sounds strange, but I really did look at it like (laughs) a way to enhance my hunting experience because I, I wanted to stop thinking about backpacking. And I figured a couple thousand miles of doing it in a single summer would probably hopefully put me on autopilot when it comes to backpacking. I mean, and it did. You had to have though, like, I don't know. I, I think a little differently sometimes, but you had to have a different reason other than just the hunting part, right? Like, what about the you know, like just taking six months and not being in our normal society? You know, like that had to be yeah. awesome. I mean, I I tell oh. my wife all the time because I'll. That's my favorite part about hunting. A lot of these guys go on like a week-long hunt or 10-day hunt. And and my favorite part and what I have worked my way to through life is like I take the month off. I take a month off every yeah. year, six weeks now. Like usually I don't I, – I do a month and then I do two weeks in November so I can hunt Reddick Deer. But, but I tell my wife all the time because she'll come with me for a week and she likes it, whatever. I'm like, you have not been on a vacation until you have done like been somewhere for a month like absolutely you don't feel it's just it's a totally different feeling and i can't even imagine doing it for six months i am like when i taught ran into this first i was so pumped i my goal is to be able to do that with my daughter when she gets old enough like i just think that would be epic like our society today is so just go 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 and everybody's working nine to five and you get it, you know, it's just, it's just kind of a mess. And to be able to put most of that aside, I realize you're, you know, the trail still goes through towns and you still have some planning, but to be able to put all that aside and just, I'm hiking from here to there. See in six months. I mean, you had, that had to be awesome, right? Um, it was beyond words how awesome it was. And I think that's why you 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 learn of these habitual through hikers where they they just they go from one long trail to the next long trail and and when I there were a number of reasons why I could tell you that I wanted to do it one of it was I wanted to get better at backpacking so I could get get further into the backcountry and I could be more com- I wanted to be more comfortable comfortable and confident in the woods with the skill set and learn backpacking I wanted to find out what it was to to hike this trail it was a challenge you know I I was curious I was really curious. And I think if I'm honest with myself, I sure did. I look forward to taking time off. Absolutely. But it turned out that I valued that time off far more than I did the backpacking skills. And, and mm-hmm. be, because of that disconnect, and you were dead on. And with, with the idea of like taking the more time off, you can kind of just take for yourself and be really self, not selfish about it, but for yourself, that's where you're taking time off. The more time that you can kind of cut away from the from all the world things like that you have all these, you're inundated with all this technology and news and, and, and family and friends and all those things. And if you can start kind of, if you can disconnect for a long period of time, there's, I, I describe it as seeing in color for one of the first times in my life. Like the longer I was on the trail, the more miles that I hiked, uh, I, did I miss home? Absolutely. But I started seeing things differently. I started like seeing in color for the first time i started having that wonder you know when you look in like little kids eyes or they're out in the woods and they're playing and they're just like seeing things differently and you're like what the heck are you seeing and you're like i feel like i used to be in that place where you're you're playing good guys and bad guys in the woods and 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 you're like where did that go and you're like oh well 
I don't really know what, what happened. Oh, I grew up and I have this job and I have these, you know, demands on me. And when I, what I found doing that through hike was for five months, I didn't think once of work. It didn't cross my mind. The only thing that I missed was my fiance who I'm now married to. And I told her, I was like, you're the only thing that I wish I had. Like the only, you're the only thing that I'm missing out here. Yeah. If you were here, I would never, de- I would desire to just stay out here the entire time because it's so, it, it was so epic and it's like a, this gift. And I was talking to a, a guest on the podcast the other day and, and we're just like, it's like this gift you want to give someone. And I can't tell you that it's the trail itself. I think it's the benefit of the trail. It's like mm-hmm. when, that benefit you feel after that six months off or six weeks off of work when you go hunting and you mm-hmm. dedicate yourself to this thing. You come back and you start seeing things differently. You're like all those clarity. People go in the mountains and they think differently, right? It's because yeah. you don't have any of that stimulation anymore. Yeah. And try doing that for five or six months and you're like, you'll come back a, a changed person. It's yeah, the craziest thing. It's awesome. I feel like that same way, you know, with, with the traditional archery and the bow hunting, you know, like I feel it's the same. Like I have, I have this thing and I just want to, I want everybody to see it, you know, like it, it's hard yeah. to do. You know, my dad, when I was growing up, he always would say, like, you're not on vacation until you you forget what day it is. Like, that, that's when you yeah, know. Like, you don't know whether it's Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday. Like, you have no idea. That's when that's when you've been gone long enough. Like, and, yeah. and, man, there's just too many people. And, like I said, my wife's one of them. Like, there's just too many people that do not make that a priority in their life enough. And they just never and they never get that opportunity. And you want to be able to show them that, you know. Yep. So. And if they would just try it once, you, you're like, if you just try this one time, I guarantee you'll do it. You'll you'll desire it. It'll be like this burning thing inside you where you're like, I told my wife, I'm like, oh, man, I do not, I never want to do another long trail. But I guarantee, like if she looked at me and said, hey, Emery, I want to hike the PCT. I want to do it with you. I'd be like, okay, cool. I'll hike every single hill with you all over again just so you can have this experience of disconnect. Yeah. So – you said it changed you. Do you what did your uh, fiance, wife now like? What did she notice? Like, did and was this a a, a long term? I mean, this it had to have changed you. I mean, did have you guys had that discussion? Like the Emory that that uh, came back and how how you were different? Yeah, we've had the conversation. I, I I it would be interesting to check in with her now and ask her that question. Uh, you know, now post like six months, whatever it might be. I think the, when we did talk about it, um, I think we agreed that I think the biggest thing that I struggled with before the trail was I was a planner and I'm like, okay, I need to be able to know where I'm going to be at. I know like, how am I going to solve this problem before I get there? And I was always hiking ahead of myself. I was always ahead of myself all the time. I was always, you know, a week or whatever. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I had to let all of that crap go, this pl- this this habitual planning and just learn to have confidence in myself that I'm like, cool. Uh whatever situation comes up, I can I can solve it. And it was it, it, I just had to enable myself to to the ability to be flexible like it's almost like a control like not a controlling thing. Maybe it is control like I want to be able to control my own destiny. I want to be able to control the environment. And I had to learn real quick. I'm like, dude, I can't control anything. And I'll give you an example. At the beginning of the trail, um, you know, you, you're, there's 100 miles roughly, we'll say roughly 100 miles between you and the next town. And you have no freaking idea what's on the other side of those mountains. You have no idea what's in happens in three days. 
You have no idea where you're going to get your next resupply from, how are you going to get into town. And that thing used to stress me out. I'd be like, oh, I got to do research. I got to find out, you know, what, what am I getting myself into? And then lo and behold, like I get to Washington and, and I'm halfway through Washington and then my buddy leaves and it's, it's just on me now. And I'm staring down the barrel of a 120 mile stretch and I don't even give a crap what's on the other side. I got the food I need to get there. I'll figure it out when I, when I arrive. And that is a massive shift in my mindset. And it applies to so many areas of the, of my life where I plan for what I can plan for, but I have to be willing to adjust on the fly and have confidence in myself that, yeah, Emery can freaking do it. I can do it, man. Like there's nothing, what's the worst that could happen? You, you plan, you, you plan for the worst. Maybe you have some, some, some ideas in your head of some backup plans, but like know that you can solve the problem and solving problems in the backcountry is like so freaking rewarding. Yeah. And that's I, super I, I, relatable to hunting too, because absolutely. I feel the same way. Like, you know, a hunt starts and you're, you're, you're going to backpack into this area. You're going to hunt this area, backpack, whatever. And, and you know, there should be elk here. There should be bugling or the rut should be on and the full moon. And, and the more I've hunt, you know, like deeper into my thirties and the longer I've been able to do these trips, it's like being able to take those and like, there's no elk here. They're not Mm-hmm. bugling or there's some other guys in here and just being able to be patient and just let that roll yeah. because and and i think a part of it is because if i still had a week i'd be super stressed out now i have the whole month so i feel like well it'll work and, and just learning that that will work out i mean that's a, kind of the same thing when it comes to hunting absolutely yeah just uh, let the let the hunt take care of it You're, the hunt is the hunt right like i got so wrapped up in the trail and hiking the miles that i I was missing it. And towards the end of the trail, I'm like, whoa, dude, I should just enjoy this moment. And like, and, and, and I'm really curious to see how that affects my hunting yeah. uh, this upcoming season where I can be like, dude, like you said, you go into it, you have a plan, and, and then it doesn't work out. And you're like, okay, what do I do? I need to flex. I need to, I need to solve the problem. I need to find the animal. Emery, think. Like, what can you do to make this, you know, this is part of the hunt. And I think we, I think, Today, we just we want that instant, like, I'm going to go to the spot. I want my plan to work. <laughs> I want my air to fly right. And then yeah. I'm going to get this. Uh, and you're like, that's not hunting, man. Like, yeah. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's the pinnacle. Like, that, that would, gr- that'd be great. That, that's, I got a deer on opening morning one time and I felt like a champion. And then <laughs> I, I was like, this is amazing. And then I, I got back home and I'm like, my hunting season's over. I didn't even really hunt. Yeah. Like, and it was a really nice blacktail. You know, I was like, <laughs> but I should be really happy. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with me? So I'm I'm curious, like that is part of the hunt, right? Like it's an art form of like solving problems. Cool. They're not here. Where would they be? Or I saw someone in my spot. Well, that sucks. That's depressing. Okay. Emery, well, where should you go now? And it's, it's really funny. I place, I'm sure you guys do the same thing. You play scenarios back where you're like, what was I thinking? Why didn't I just go? Why didn't I, why did I go home after seeing a guy in my spot? Why didn't I just go somewhere else? And, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. You got to learn to flex and yeah, I've had, you know, those open, you know, you dream about opening morning and I've had several <laughs> opening mornings where you crack the bugle and the bull bugles back and it's, it's about to happen like right away. And I look at my hunting partner and I'm like, you're the shooter. Like, I'm like scared. I'm like, I don't want to shoot. Like, I, I don't want to stand. Like you get up there and he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm positive. Like, I don't even want to be in this situation. It seems, uh, uh, I could totally relate to that. Uh, also touching, touching on to like, you talked about putting, 
you're packing your fears into the woods in your backpack. And as I listen to you, it seems like this long trek down this trail, as you lighten your load, I mean, we all have skeletons. We all have demons. Oh, man. And so it's like you're not just getting rid of like a lighter, a heavier sleeping bag for a lighter one. You've got to be like subconsciously unloading these demons and leaving them behind. Dude, dead on, man. Uh, that is an incredible parallel. And there are tons of life parallels between the process of through hiking and life. And I think, I, I think you're right, man, because every time that I take something out of my pack, if you want to use that as an example, like I take this thing, like uh, I used pants, you know, I used pants. I'm a pant guy. Like I hiked through the desert in pants. I'm like, I got to have something between me and the bushes. That's what I'm used to. And at one point, I decided to try hiking in just shorts. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. And then it turns out I didn't need my pants anymore. And, and that me sending my pants home um, was a massive, like, like that emotional baggage or that fear of being like, Emery, you don't need your pants. <laughs> like, you can just <laughs> hike in shorts, you know? Like, what's the worst that can happen? You're cold, you just keep moving. So um, life lesson, you don't need pants, I guess. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's it's a lot more than that, right? Like it's hard Absolutely, to yeah. and I think like I'm going to be 40 years old this year and I've noticed old. like old. Yeah. <laughs> old. I I've noticed like as I age, it's it's a slow process yeah. of yep. leaving my ego behind yep. and um you know just maturing. And and I would imagine like when I go out on these 10-day hunts how I I uh I move it progresses at a faster rate. So like a six months off on this trail, like you could progress like at a, at a really fast rate. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, uh, let's, let's think about it like this. If, if you're 21, your 21 year old self on a 10 day hunt, how does that look compared to like your 60 year old self in the future on a 10 day hunt? Like if you match those two people up, how do you think those people would interact with each other? And I, I would imagine that the 60 year old self is like, much more like intentional about this and like really, really soaking it in and like patient and all that stuff. Whereas like maybe the 21 year old self might be like, Oh, let's get it done. Let's get it done. And, and kind of missing, missing yeah. all those things. Yeah. The, the 21 year old's going to run to seven spots that he planned yeah. on hitting over 10 days. And he's going to hit them all yep. in the first day. And the six year old guy might only hit three of those spots in 10 days. And he probably tags out halfway along the way and exactly. takes a sweet time. Oh, doing it and that's all experience right i mean that's that's like why is that 60 year old guy um only why is he acting like that well he knows like he knows like it's just a matter of time and it's like this it's like this whole new um outlook on things and and i think you're right man i mean in going back to the whole dropping of gear that the that parallel between like you know dropping your fears you pack first you have all these things in you and you're bringing you know everything for the worst case scenario and then after a while you're like you know, my confidence goes up and my fears go down and you're like, cool, I'm still prepared for the worst. I still have everything I need, but I'm able to drop this emotional baggage and these and physical baggage as well and be like, cool, here's my confidence. I guess I didn't need all those things that I thought I needed in my life. And uh, when I came home, it was funny when I came home, I, I'm, I go into my basement. I'm like, what is all this stuff? Like, this is crazy. What do I have all this stuff for? Like, I'm just trying to give stuff away. I'm like, I don't need that thing. And and it just feels so good to be like, you know what? Cool. I'm just going to, you know, make my life a little more simple and 
guess I don't need all those things. And they, I haven't, I can't even tell you what I gave away. I don't even remember it. Yeah, I, I'm with. We had this talk earlier, and uh, people make fun of me. I've said this on the podcast before, but two of my favorite things to do is to go to Goodwill uh, or Salvation Army and and donate. And go to the trash dump and get rid of. Like I love getting rid of stuff. I hate. I'm not a collector of anything. Like I do not hoard anything. I'm just like all about less is more. Yep. Yeah, man. And once they, you know, once those things, it's funny. I used to hold on to like the memory. Like that thing has a memory. You know. I'm like, oh, I remember that from a kid. And I'm like, dude, you still have that memory. Just give that thing away. Like let someone else have a memory with that thing. Come on, man. You've had your time. Yeah, right. that's awesome. That's, that's awesome, man. Cool. I, so, hopefully someday we can uh we can experience the same thing you got to do, man. 6 months is awesome. So, but go, yeah. getting back into your pack getting a lot lighter at the end mm-hmm. than it was at the beginning. I know uh that's kind of why we had you on. So, yeah. maybe like uh maybe you can go over the thing the major things you changed. You think you said you bought a lighter sleeping bag and mm-hmm. what what you saw all the other guys on the trail using, you know, like the quilt thing, was that a big popular, did you guys just use a tarp or a tent and, you know, the footwear, maybe we can get into some of those details. Yeah. The the stove. Yeah. um, And and, and then also, and then also how that, how that would apply to actually bow hunting versus just. Yeah. Going off trail, you know, like hunting, we probably aren't going to be wearing shorts, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so that's the thing. Like a lot of the things, and and on the website, like I, I'm hoping to kind of. Inter- anytime I talk to someone that's hunting, I'm like, cool. Hey, I can because I understand what you're hunting, how how hunting works. I can tell you what relates and what doesn't relate. It's it, I, I like to. There are certain things that you have to bring with you when you're hunting. You can't get like you can't get away from it. You know, you you need to be able to have. Uh, you know, a, a kill kit, if you will. Like you, you need to be able to take care of the, the game when it's down. A through hiker doesn't have a kit like that. So um, there's things that don't that don't work in either side. But a lot, everything else, for the most part, is is directly relatable. Whether it's shelters and, and that and that kind of thing, footwear, that's debatable depending on the kind of terrain that you're using. But I mean, to go back to your original question, like, what was my gear like? What are my what are the things that I saw? The trends. Um, I will say everything, everyone has their own preference and it, it, it comes down to comfort level, uh, what, what you're comfortable dealing with. So I actually wrote, read, wrote an article recently about like choosing a shelter and it was like, are you a tent, a tarp or like a bivy person? And all three of those things are very valid options. And I saw all three of those things on the trail. Um, and it depends on the person using it to decide, you know, are they, are they willing to give up weight for this? And, you know, there's all these trade-offs. And for me, I think I've decided I'm, I'm a really lightweight tent guy. Like, um, it just seems to me like a really nice way, a good way to go. Uh, you know, you're, you're protected from the elements, especially when you're hunting. Normally, hunting, hunters, you know, the, the hunting season is only a, a short period of time. And just because it's raining doesn't mean that the animals aren't out there. So you, you need to be able to be prepared for all of these scenarios. So I think, you know, a tent is a really good option. A small footprint tent is really good option for hunters. Um, that's also a really good option for backpackers, you know. Um, a quilt. So if anyone is familiar with quilts or unfamiliar with them, these are basically, imagine you just unzip your bag all the way down and you lay it over you. That's basically what these quilts are. 
and they're not meant to be, you're not supposed to be inside them. You're supposed to lay them on top of you and you can reduce your, uh, you can reduce your pack, your uh, sleeping bag weight by like literally pounds sometimes. You know, I, I mentioned I swapped over, I reduced an entire pound in my pack by moving to a higher quality down and a, a nicer sleeping bag, an entire pound. And I just bought a quilt that I saved another like half a pound. So it, it's crazy because you're you're just going, it's just as efficient. Um, it's just a little bit lighter weight because you're removing some fabric. So um, quilts are really popular. I think they're both an, a really great option for both the hunter and the hiker, um, back general backpacker. And then, um, you know, sleeping, I think sleeping systems, you don't want to go really um, low end on sleeping systems because you need your sleep at night. That's where your body repairs. So I've heard a lot of people talk about they care about their sleep. They bring a pillow that helps them sleep better. They they want to sleep warmer, so they bring an insulated inflatable pad. That's really common. I use an inflatable pad all along the PCT. Sure, it's a little bit heavier, but dude, when your body's trying to repair itself from a day of hunting or hiking, if you're not sleeping at night, you're not hunting or you're not hiking well. So, um, yeah, what else? Uh, what else? Oh, uh, did I... What else was I going to cover? Let's just start. Let's just start with what you use. Let's start with the footwear. Okay. What, what did you start out hiking in? So I started out in um, some La Sportiva Raptors, and they cho- they chewed my feet up. And these are trail running shoes. So through hikers use trail running shoes, and this is something I've been familiar with for a little while. I swapped over to trail runners a while a few years ago, and it's been amazing ever since. Um, I ended up hiking the whole trail in Hoka's. These are like higher. The thicker soled shoes. Yep, yep. I would not suggest that to, for hunters. I've hiked, I've hunted in Hoka's before, and you 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 find I found my my foot just rolled a lot more because it's uneven terrain, going side hill or over logs and stuff like that. Um, I would suggest you know a lower profile shoe for for hunting in. But uh, yeah, I, I used Hoka's. Those are great, and then Ultra is a really good shoe to try. They make a waterproof mid shoe and these are like a zero drop they're really good for your body supposedly um with alignment and uh they have this foot shaped toe box um so where it's it doesn't cram your toes together so your feet kind of your toes can kind of spread out and support your body a little more which would make sense off trail like when you're going over rocks or trees or through brush um uneven terrain your foot is able to work how it's supposed to work so those are supposed to be pretty good. Um, I used all those shoes, but uh, for the most part, when you're when you're trying to move fast um, and you want to use like a a trail runner versus a boot, where and everyone has their preference, right? Like depending on the terrain you're using, uh, a boot might not be the end all say all solution. Yeah, see, well, I've been I've been hunting the desert the last couple of years. It's funny you mention that because I've been that's what I've been running the Hoka trail runners the last two years and man yep. i love the things they're like walking on yep. pillows all day like i can they're do 10 or 15 yep. miles in the desert and i feel like mm-hmm. i'm not wearing anything they're just they're magical i yep. love them i have them on right now yeah but Dude, I've, I've been hunting the desert with them obviously so well so and that's and that's the thing so i i hiked the desert with them amazing right like you can kind of it's different but if you're going to be in like the jungle of the northwest you know oh, yeah. uh, through clear cuts like I, I i started my feet were hurting i'm like man they're just moving around a little too much which is totally fine and i think that's one of the things that guys get hung up on is like well this shoe didn't work because 
it did, you know, my, my foot blistered and you're like, well, dude, where were you using your shoe at? Like what shoe were you using in what condition? Yeah. Um, you could probably, if you're hunting the desert, dude, you should, you could probably get away from a non Gore-Tex. I don't know if you're using Gore-Tex at all, but like you could probably get away with a non waterproof shoe because you can air your dogs out in the middle oh, of the day yeah. if they get damp. Yeah. And, I don't. And I, that's all. I hunt with, you know, the buddies I hunt with, my brother hunts in tennis shoes, but my buddy Steven, who's been hunting with me, like, we'll stop. And I'm like, dude, why are you wearing those heavy ass boots, man? Yep. It's it's 80 degrees yep. out here. We're in the desert. Like, what are you doing? I think hunters, hunters and boots just go hand in hand. And, and yep. that's great for the mountains. I mean, you have to have them. But if you're yep. hunting the desert or the prairies or whatever, like, they make, you know, tennis shoes or moccasins or what, you know. You don't have to wear big old heavy boots. It makes a huge difference to me. The weight of my shoes is very important. Even the boots for hunting the mountains. I run some lightweight Zamberlins. I just a heavy boot just kills me. Yep. So have you have you switched? Uh, have you tried switching back to a boot after wearing like a trail shoe? Uh, I I do when I hunt the mountains. Yeah, I mean, but no, well, not in the desert. I mean, course. I just I'll go. I go trail shoes or moccasins. And that's what I. That's what I wear. So. And to me, it's all about comfort, right? Like, it, but it's really hard. I'm, I'm sure the first time you're like, I'm really sure. The first time you tried that shoe, you're like, I guess I'll give it a shot. Yeah, everybody else is wearing boots, but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it, it feels amazing because you're like, I just, I felt more connected and like you can move easier. And, and dude, if you're enjoying, if it enhances your experience, like it's worth giving a shot. And, and I think it's all about experience. If you enjoy your time out there a little bit better by wearing a Hoka shoe in the desert, dude, more power to you. That's what's supposed to happen. Like the gear is there to, is to, it's supposed to enhance your experience, not detract from it. Yeah. So we went over the footwear. You're wearing trail runners. Sounds like most other people on the trail are. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, sleeping bags. You went with, uh, I'm guessing you went with a super down. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I moved, I have a 30, I had a 30 degree super down bag from, uh, from Kuyu. Dude, that thing was awesome, man. It packs down like, super tiny it sleeps really warm um i i was in, dude i was impressed with that bag uh it was impressive and it was a big purchase but i'm like carrying her i was like i can save a pound and i can it means more space in my bag and physically so there's a psychological thing that happens when you look at your backpack if that backpack is huge it's gonna it doesn't matter if it's full of pillows or or not <laughs> like that thing just beats you down emotionally you're like i don't want to sling that on my back but when your pack when your pack looks really really small, like you toss that day pack on for a day hike, you're like this thing's amazing. So the smaller you can make your bag, the better. It means that you know there's less things in it. But also it does this psychological thing for you where you're like, cool, my bag's really small. So I saved a ton of weight inside my bag by switching to a, a 30 degree quilt or a 30 degree bag from Kuyu. And that and 30 now great. that 30 degree down. Was it rated? I, I know like ratings are all over the place. I've Oh, I've yeah. slept in 20 degree bags when it was 30 degrees out and for, like I survived, but I yeah. froze to death. Like, yeah. was it legit? Cause you were, you, I mean, by the time you got up here to the Pacific Northwest, it was probably pretty chilly at night, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was, I had one cold night and the only cold, the only reason was is that I'd been hiking in rain all day long and I, my core temperature was just really down. Like my legs were exposed to the rain all day. And that was the only cold night that I had. Other than that, um, dude, I was that bag. So I switched from a, so here's the, here's the difference. 
I had a 15 degree crappy sleeping bag that was like really bad fill, like really low quality down. And then I switched to a 30 degree high quality down. Like I think it's 850 fill. And, and all that means is like, it's less fill for the amount of rating. You know, it's like they use less to fill up the bag. So it's higher quality down. It has more loft to it. Uh-huh. And I, so I went from a 15 degree bag crappy down to a high quality bag, 30 degrees, high quality down and slept far better. Okay. Um, quality of down is really, really important. Like the higher quality down you can, you can afford, it's going to make your life way better just because it, it's just, if you, if you're doing the down thing, there's a lot of debate in the down thing are all eight fifty downs the same or is there differences? You know what I'm saying? Is is it just that number is, is a 800 better than a 500 no matter what or. Um, well, yeah, the 800 is going to be better than five. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's a weight, it's a weight ratio. So they're using to get down to like a 30. So it would, for a 30 degree bag, the way I understand it is if you're using 850 fill or 900 fill down, it's going to require less down to get in that, to, to meet that rating. rating. Okay. Yeah. Whereas like a crappy down is going to require more down for the same rating. And then the ratings like, it's a super weird thing. Um, it's a, I think it's a ballpark. Yeah. Everybody's body sleeps differently. If you're a cold sleeper, um, it, it's an idea of where the bag can be rated to. But it, it, if you look into it, it's like, are you the the ratings go down to even like you're curled up in a ball, you're not in a ball, you're you're laid out. You know, it's it's super weird. It's scientific, but at the same time, it's really it's individual. If you're a cold sleeper, you should probably get a warmer bag. Yeah. If you're a hot sleeper, you should get. Maybe you don't need that. Um, It's a really interesting thing. I think you can really only to know what works for you. I think you just have to start somewhere and and know that like that's okay. Like get a bag somewhat. If if it doesn't work for you and you want to try something else, dude, someone will buy that bag from you. Good call. Yeah. And so (laughs) what about um, the synthetic over the down real quick? Like why did you go with the down? Just because of the weight savings? Because I know like a lot of hunters – Yep. Like you said, it could be raining, it could be whatever. Like I always go synthetic. Uh, you know, I got yep. my first puffy jacket last year and I and I have a a synthetic sleeping bag just because I think I'm an idiot, I'll get it wet and then I'll freeze to death. Like is that like what what precautions did you use or is that something you need to worry about? I know there's treated downs, like maybe yep. you can speak on that a little bit. Yeah, so I think if someone's tossing up, like the reasons you say you you choose a synthetic, those are one hundred percent valid. I mean, that's that is exactly why people choose synthetic because they're like, I'm not really confident. I, I'm not really sure. In the event I get this thing wet, it's not. I need it to still keep me warm. So that's the downside of down. If it if it gets wet, it can lose its loft. Even if there's waterproof down in there, um, the way the, for the most part through hikers. They're looking for compressibility and weight. So down is just really, really hard to beat when, in terms of compressibility. You, you can't beat it when you can compress it down really small and it's really, really lightweight. Well, um, and it, seem, it seems like all the, the guys we talk to, they're sheep hunting Alaska too. I mean, that it's wet there. Like they're still using down also, which kind of like it, it, to me, having not done those extreme backpacking trips, I'm like, well, that's weird. You know, I just don't, I don't understand, taking, I guess. Well, so they're also taking precautions to keep their down dry. Like they probably have their bag water. They probably have that sleeping bag. If they know that rain could be an issue, they probably have 
precautions spread throughout their system to ensure that that bag remains dry. So one of the things I used to do, I actually ditched my rain cover, my pack cover for my backpack and and I replaced it with a dry bag, uh, Osprey dry bag that I just tossed as a liner inside my backpack. And so my sleeping bag, because I was like glissading down snow, it would rain, whatever it was. And I wanted to ensure that when I pulled that bag out at, at night, that thing was dry because it was down. And even if it was waterproof down, I wanted to ensure that it was dry. So I got this dry bag that I would fit all of my belongings inside and my backpack could get wet, but I would be I would ensure that the safety of my of my belongings, especially that that down sleeping bag. And I would just it was a roll top dry bag and and we're good to go. Um I think and then like a lot of people if you're going to be crossing rivers, I, I think you can just take the precaution. Um, I don't know. It's, it's personal preference too. I mean, as yeah, long as you have precautions yeah. to protect yourself from that rain, I'm, a, I'm imagining a scenario in which like I would completely soak my down sleeping bag. And there's not I think many with a proper, there's, there's <laughs> not many, man. I mean, but, but the thing is, it's like, well, if it does happen, okay, well, let's play the game. If what happens, if it does happen, where are you at normally? Are you in a really bad situation to where if you get your bag soaked, what happens? Yeah. Are you so far away from the truck that you're gonna that you you, you risk dying? Are you gonna yeah. stay or out you there can't, if your bag is soaked? You can't build a fire. You can't. Yeah. There's always something. Yeah. Like I said, we're packing our fears for sure. It, but that that's totally valid. I mean, I know a ton of people that that use synthetic bags for that because they they just want that peace of mind, and peace of mind is perfect. But I think as you build confidence and you and and you go, you're like. Okay, well, cool. What? Let's play the game. What if? What if my bag gets wet? Um, what are my options? Um, I could build a fire. I could dry it out. I could stop hunting for the day until I have my things dry. Yeah. Um, or I could, worst case, I I hike out. Yeah. And I yeah. figure it out of the truck. I, I like that game. Uh, when we were talking on the phone, you, you I had brought up the jet boil and and packing yep. three canisters and and you you said. Uh, well, go ahead. Let's play that game when you run out of fuel. What happens? Well, yeah. I mean, you can cold soak your meal that you brought. Like ramen still – if you bring top ramen or a mountain house meal, uh, you can still eat it. Like <laughs> it doesn't have to be hot. You can – trail hiker, uh, through hikers, there's a lot of them that go stoveless. That means they don't have any stove in their backpack at all whatsoever. And you're like, what the heck are you doing? And they're like, oh, I don't know. What would you do? You just eat what – you either eat something cold or you you uh, don't bring a, a meal with you. So if you run out of stove in the backcountry, you can build a fire. You can probably, if you bring a titanium pot, you can probably set it next to the fire or you just eat a cold meal that night. I, and I didn't think of that, that you could just put water in there and let it soak for an hour and yep. still eat. Yeah. And the bars, like they, make, they make enough bars now. Like, did mm-hmm. you run into anybody on the trail that just ate bars? Like, Absolutely. And yeah. that, I, I think I would lose my mind. See, um, I'm, I'm not a food guy and my wife just dies because I, I just, I'll just eat like some bars. Like that's fine. Yep. I'm, I'm good. Like I, and I've heard all these green belly meals and all these other ones. It's like, man, I'm, I'm going to go that route. No stove. I just take some bars and I'm good to go. And you notice no, like when people say, well, what are you getting by not going with a stove? And what you're getting is a reduced pack weight. And what that reduced pack weight was, like everyone goes, oh, you're going crazy on ultralight. You know, it's just a few ounces. Well, there's, I believe, 16 ounces in a pound. And if something weighs, if you can cut 
four items out of like your pack that are four ounces. That's pound. that's pretty good. That's <laughs> yeah. a pound. And then you say, well, what's the difference of a pound? And you're like, I'll tell you the difference. The difference is, for me, I could feel a pound at night when I was closing in the high mile days, and I had to decide either do I push another five to six miles, or do my feet hurt so bad that I need to camp right now? And if I had it, I could tell the difference of an extra pound in my bag at, at the like 25 mile mark. I'm like, nope, I gotta cut it. Like I gotta. I got to, I got to camp here. So relate that to hunting, right? And you're like, well, that's backpacking and no one's covering 30 miles a day on a trail, whatever. And I'd say, well, if that bull bugles at the end of your five day hunt and it's up on this ridge and you're smoked because you're bringing too much gear with you and that bull is just hanging out and you know, you want another crack at him. Are you going to hang out at the bottom of that draw and just be miserable and be like, I don't have the energy to go up there. Or, you know, maybe that pound plays a, plays a role in your hunt and well, for sure over yeah. time you know all those yeah, that's but, all that way and that's what we talked about at the sportsman show was was the ability most guys most hunters that are backpacking they're backpacking in they're dropping their camp they're camping in an area and then they're hunting from there you know and they'll come back to their camp or they might move that a couple times but but if you could get your equipment light enough pack that up every day throw it on your back like you guys are through hiking and just end up wherever you end up and have that not be i mean i've done that hunting but it's always it's a pain like you said you have you know you have so much weight on you all the time you're like man okay here we go here we go again and it slows you down so much if you could be light enough to to make that effective that's that's kind of that's kind of my goal this year for sure i i think you got to know your your personality too. Like Bob says, he's not a food guy, but his wife is and that he can just survive on bars. I know for me, I did a couple 10 days and I'm one of them. I brought kind of like, I didn't bring a variety. I brought stuff that I liked, but it was a lot of the same stuff. And I, and then the next time I brought a huge variety and then that hot meal at the end of the night is super important to me. And so, so for me, like, no, having that variety and looking forward to that hot meal, it was enough for me to like never want to go home. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. And and that's the thing. Everyone has their preference. I, if you're not a bar guy, do not hunt. Do not just keep bars in your bag. Like you will not eat, and you need the fuel. Bring what you're going to eat. Like if I'm the same way, man. Like my hiking partner was like, we should try and go slow, stoveless for 100 miles. I'm like, you can freaking pounce. <laughs> Man, man, I'm like, I want, I want that freaking hot macaroni and cheese, man. <laughs> I need that because that's gonna keep me happy. I look forward to that freaking pasta, it, you know. Yeah, I think I, I, yeah, it gets cold or whatever. I'm looking forward to that hot yep. milk at the end of the night, and and I'll usually bring like, like maybe uh, a couple, you know, like I like I I did uh, Heather's choice. It was her um, mm-hmm. smoked salmon chowder, and I brought two of them. Well, I ate one on the first night, and it was so phenomenal. I was like, okay, this is really good. I'm going to save this for the ne- like for seven days from now in case the other stuff I didn't bring, you know, I, I fantasized about eating that again. <laughs> yeah, see, there's foodies and there's not. I work with a lot of guys that are awesome cooks, and they just, I mean, that's what they think about is food. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I, I guess I'm lucky or not lucky. My wife's the same way. Like she, that's what she thinks about his yeah. food. I, I had it one yeah. year with a buddy of mine in in Montana, and it was the same way. Like in the morning, we'd 
we'd be hiking these canyons and get up and stop. And I mean, me and my brother, we're just thinking about elk and whatever. And he'd be like, what are you guys thinking we're going to have for dinner tonight? (laughs) What the hell are you talking about, Miller? Like, what the heck, man? Like, yeah. We're out hunting here. He's like, well, I was, geez, easy. I was just wondering. He made fun of us because we just, you know, we were truck camping, but he's like, we brought like a, you know, 20 pound bag of potatoes and some rice and granola bars. And that was our food for the week. He's like, what are you guys doing? So I, I know a guy that, uh, that uh, does the same thing. And he tells me he takes like four loaves of bread, two jars of oh peanut butter, two jars of jelly and a bag of jerky and goes yeah. hunting for three weeks. Like yeah. he's just Dude, like, that's, that's crazy, but it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's different for sure. So what about cubic inches in backpacks and how many oh, man. days and what's what's the theory on that? <laughs> oh man. Um let's how do I say this? Um I think guys would be surprised at how small of a pack they can probably get away with. Um for some reason hunting hunting backpacks. I mean, I see them on these these companies are making these packs for hunters, and I'm like, you're going on a 10 day hunt, and you got this massive 5,500 cubic inch, 6,000, 7,000 cubic inches. <laughs> Do you know how much room that is? That is that is just a bunch of bowling balls that you're trying to pack into your into your pack, and I, I just after hiking. I'm gonna talk. I'm I'm gonna have this guy on the podcast. Uh, he's he has this backpack that doesn't even have. It, it's teeny tiny. It looks like a little day pack, and he has everything that he needs in there for through hiking. Nice. And I and, and I want to find out from him like how did you get there? Because I think of him, and I'm like, this dude is an is an avid through hiker. He crushes miles. He he's out there for days on end. And then I look over here, and I'm like, these expeditionary, you know backpacks that are 55 6000 7000 cubic inches i'm like y'all are doing the same thing almost what's what's going on here what do these guys know that this guy doesn't and 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 back and forth so i guess where i've landed with a the size of a backpack it's funny you bring this up i was actually thinking i'm like what's my preferred size and i think for hunting i think i can probably get away with 2000 to 2500 cubic inches and that I can be, I can live out of for a week. And wow. if you there, if you choose the right stu- gear, is there stuff hanging off the sides of it, or is it all contained? Um, I would say I, I'm a huge fan of packs with stretch pockets. So stretch pockets are like amazing. You know, everything you need easily accessible on the outside. So I would say like main body, um, twenty five hundred cubic inches um, can probably get you a number of days into the backcountry, but it requires you to plan accordingly, right? That means you you cannot bring the kitchen sink. Oh to- <laughs> man. <laughs> but but here's the thing. How do you so someone's like, are you kidding me? That's my that's my day hunting pack. And I'm like, so I have one of the Kuyu uh, 1850 Pro packs. Yep. And when I came home from the I haven't done this yet. I want to write an article about it. I came home and I'm I'm sitting up in my office and I'm like I wonder if I can get three days out of 1,850 cubic inches. So I go down the basement and I start stuffing all of my through hiking stuff in there. And I'm like, holy smokes, I did it. Like I stuffed three days worth of um, backpacking gear into, an 1800, into that 1,850 pack. Nice. And I'm like, okay, so 
why did I, why was I able to do this? And that was with a massive, that was with a big jet boil. And so I'm like, okay, well, you just start paring down the gear. A quilt packs down smaller, um, you know, really packable rain gear. And you just start going elements, you know, really compact stove and stuff like that. And you're like, start, start with a small pack and see what, you know, that's a good, that's a good box to put yourself in. Take your day pack and see how many days you can get out of it. And if you can't get that many days out of it, ask yourself why. What's taking up the space? What are you using for sleeping pad? Are you going with like kind of like those big, you know, pretty wide ones or the little thermo rests or what what are you using? I use an insulated inflatable uh, pad. I've used a big Agnes. I've used a uh, Nemo pad and and I used a a climate pad on the, uh, on the PCT. All of them worked really great. One of the techniques that through hikers use is they use, um, they get the smallest, they call them like body pads or, or like it's the size of your torso. And what they'll do mm-hmm. is they'll, they'll, they'll have their pad really, 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 really small just for their torso. And then they'll put their backpack underneath their feet and use that as like insulated. So you're cutting a ton of weight. You're using, you have multiple uses for the same item. So they're using their backpack as kind of thermal regulation from their feet for their feet against the cold ground. And then their, their torso is protected. And that's another thing. I mean, uh, that that's a whole other can. Like having one item do s- several things uh, in your pack is really really key. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. What about water? I mean, that's what a lot of guys are packing too much water. Are you, are you doing the stirry pen? Are you using the Sawyer squeeze? Or are you using the pump? Like, what what do you what, what have you decided on? So I I use. Uh, a Sawyer squeeze, and what I do is I attach it to a smart water bottle. The threading is perfect for a smart water bottle or any any water bottle with that size threading. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I do is I have, and I used to be a bladder guy. Like I go back and forth between like a Nalgene and like a bladder. And then what I found in the water bottles, a system that I finally um, kind of settled on is two smart water bottles on either side of my pack in the stretch pockets. And what it allows me to do, and then I bring like uh, a foldable bladder, so like a platypus or whatever it might be, like something you can roll up that you can stow extra water. So um, maybe like in the Pacific Northwest, I'll, Northwest, I'll have like um, a, a one liter smart water bottle on my right, one liter on my left, and then an extra two liters in, you know, the roll bags, you know, like a really collapsible bag, just in case I need to carry more water. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll just have a dirty bottle and a, and a clean bottle. And so when I come across a water source, all I have to do is and I keep the Sawyer water bottle or the Sawyer filter attached to the wa- the dirty water bottle. And I'll just use, I'll, I'll like come across a stream or a, uh, some water and I can fill up in like moments and I can keep my clean bottle for later. And I just drink out of the dirty one using my filtering the water through the uh, sport cap. Nice. That that makes sense. Yeah. It's yeah. super fast. And, and my, my reason for that is I'm like, well, especially if I'm hunting, I don't want to, pull out my filter and be pumping. I want to like be ready because how many times have you been sitting eating lunch and an animal walks in and you're like, you gotta be kidding me. Right. And you haven't had problems with the Sawyer. I've heard if you get them in below freezing temperatures, the filter just becomes useless. Uh, yeah. So I actually talked to Sawyer themselves. I had them on a podcast and they said, that's the only thing you have to make sure is, is the, the fibers in there cannot freeze. And how you minimize that is, if you if you know you're going to be dropping into freezing temperatures at night, toss it in your sleeping bag with you. And if you're going to be hiking in the day, 
toss it in a jacket pocket or toss it in a, in a pocket and make sure it's close to your body. Uh, make sure it's not. So in that case, I wouldn't be on my water bottle. Right. But, right. um, so yeah, you just want to make sure that it's, you're protecting it from freezing. Um, and that's pretty simple. If it, you, you know, pretty well, if it's going to be freezing or not, just toss it in your bag. I did that on a number of occasions. Okay. That's awesome. What about, what uh, about your tent? Which tent? You said you were a tent person, not a tarp or a uh, bivy sack. What tent were you using? So, man, I used the Big Agnes um, UL high, high Volume 1. It's a one-person tent. I, I understand that this is a beloved tent by a number of people, and this is the first time I'll actually say this. Not a huge fan. Um, <laughs> it, it, it annoyed the tar out of me. I hated it because... One, the last thing I want to do at night is wrestle with a rain fly. It drives me insane. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have it? You know, it, it's just so irritating. And then, like, what if it's raining when you're, um, when you're packing up or you're setting up, and while you before you have your tent fly on, everything's getting wet. Um, and then the the vestibule in the front, it's right in front of your door. So you're crawling over it. It's it's absolutely. It's just. It's really, really lightweight, and it has a purpose. It's not good in the wind, and it's the functionality of it to me is just um, extremely frustrating. But it, it is a okay tent. I mean, a lot of people use it. Three hackers use it all the time. And I came home, and I was like, "What would I want to use instead?" And I think uh, because I t- carry trekking poles with me, I've started moving towards a trekking pole style tent, and I really like the tents that have the body and the fly all in one to where it's like one stop shop. Boom. You set it out, you stake it, you put the poles in, whether it's a trekking pole or the the actual tent poles and you're done. Sierra designs has their lightning and like their flash. They have that model where it's like a single double walls type feel to it, where you set your tent up, you stake out the four corners, you, you run the poles, you clip it, you're done. And it's, you can do it in your sleep when you're tired. It's amazing. I I'm, Looking forward to trying. I, I picked up, I think Kuyu is having a sale on that one star tent. It's like a trekking pole style. And I, I pitched that in my backyard when I bought it. I'm like, I wish I would have had this dang thing on the freaking PCT. <laughs> it fits anywhere. Like, that's the good thing about hunting in the backcountry. I will say that if you plan on adapting hiking and backpacking to like following the herd or following the animals, you don't know where you're going to be sleeping that night. So, it would be who of you to find a really small footprint tent or else you're going to be like, I so much for my tent. I can't pitch it. So the smaller the footprint, like one person tents are really, really tiny and they're really kind of crappy to live in. But if you're hunting all day and you're just sleeping, uh, you don't, you're not living out of your tent. So what about the floorless shelters? Do you have any experience with them? I do. I have two seek outside, um, Teepees of theirs, they're they're just you know single pole up the middle. I have the red cliff and the and the cimarron, dude. It's a it changed my life. If I'm going to go back on a nice backpacking trip and I'm not going to be covering a ton of miles and I have a bunch of people with me, oh man, those things are amazing. Like floorless. When you go floorless and you're in the right environment, I know there's a lot of people that are like, what about the bugs? What about the mosquitoes? Well, okay, if you're if you have a problem with that, then don't use it. But you don't have to kick your shoes off. They're quick to pitch. I had, I've had them in massive windstorms. They're, they're sturdy. They're roomy. You can stand up in them. If you're, if you're doing that base camp living, like if you're going to backpack in and hunt out of a camp and like kind of day hunt out of it, dude, you cannot beat a floorless shelter. And 
you could be a Kafaru guy, whatever, like floorless shelters are amazing if you can make the transition. It's super fun. You can spit yeah, on that, the, you can spit on the floor all rednecks like that, right? All the yeah, dude. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I we're we're running the Kafaro stuff, and um, T- Snyder was talking about you know guys uh, freak out about like the rain, and it's like when you're yeah. walking around the woods, is there just puddled up water everywhere you look? No, <laughs> you know, like you got to be smart you where you set it up, intentional about where you pitch it. Yeah, exactly. You it's like it makes it you pond. think a little more. But I will tell you. Rattlesnakes and tarantulas. I'm using a tent. Oh, dude! If I'm in that country, I I went to. I hunted. I'm hunting Arizona this year, and I hunted it probably ten years ago. And I went down a week before scouting, and I set up my little tent, my little cocoon, and I set up the wall tent. My brother slept in that, but the year before, my buddies went down and tons of tarantulas and stuff. And I'm like, no way, dude! I'm sleeping in my little zipped up cocoon. Not that I'm afraid of spiders or anything, but. A tarantula on my face at night would not be cool. But that brings up a really excellent point. And I think, you know, we just got done talking about, you know, single person tents and the type of tent. And now we're talking about floorless tents. And you're like, well, in Arizona, I don't really want to use a floorless tent. I want to use a regular tent. And that is a perfect example of everyone. It seems like everyone's trying to find that one piece of gear that's going to work for everything. And where where that goes completely wrong is that... um, that, that that one piece, if you're looking for a, a shelter that works in the summer and in on, in the mountains when you're climbing like a, a, a massive peak, you're going to be miserable in either situation mm-hmm. because it, it's just not meant for that, right? Buy the gear that is for that scenario. So if you're if you hunt in September and you don't have a hunting you don't have a backpacking setup, what look at the regular weather in September and find out. What what do you what is the weather like in September during elk season? And if that's when you're going to be backpacking, choose the gear that goes along with that season. And when you want to break out from that, if you want to hunt in the winter or you want to hunt in the whatever it might be or you want to backpack in in the snow, then take the mo- take that time and be like find the gear that's meant for that situation. You're going to be far better off like through hikers. Don't bring a gigantic seek outside red cliff when you're through hiking. You don't need it. You're just going to bog yourself down. But there's a time and a place for the the Red Cliff or the the Kafaro big teepees, the seven man teepee or the six man teepee. Um, those are awesome options for a certain situation. Be intentional about that situation. Know what you're gonna. What do you want out of it? You know, if you're moving with the animals all the time, don't bring a heavy freaking tent. Yeah. Bring yeah. a really tiny. That's great. Thing. Or maybe yeah. bring a bivy sack. It's great advice. I, I'm, I'm guilty of like of you know like being that minimalist and wanting to have like one pack or one yep. pair of boots that does everything and I think that's something I'm taking away from this conversation is there's not one pair of boots there's not one pack there's not one shelter that's going to cover you from the desert to the coast yep. to the mountains that you have to have uh, the right tool for, for the job and right. you, you have to have a variety that way you're comfortable in that situation. And it's always fun to, fun to buy, to buy more gear. It's like, if you buy it intentionally, then you're like, well, honey, I, I want to camp in the snow. <laughs> I need the snow tent. Like, come on. Yeah. That's it's, it's all, for me. Yeah. For me, that's a wall tent with a big stove. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, that's what's so fun about gear is that you can be like, dude, what's that for? And use it for that purpose. You're going to love it so much more. And like we were talking about purpose-built gear, you know, 
uh, this, which stove do you use? Do you use MSR? Do you use Jetboil? Do you use like a little pop-up Snowpeak, you know, tiny little stove that's foldable and tiny? I don't know. You can use all of them if you want. Like, what do you want? What do you want to use for? You can't go wrong uh, with a stove. And and do you want to save weight? Do you want to save space? Yeah, go with a little tiny foldable stove that sits on a pot and it's super tiny. If you want efficiency and you're going to be in the wind, you're worried about wind and you want to have that peace of mind, go with an MSR or go with the jet. You don't want to spend time boiling water, get a jet boil. I mean, you just can't go wrong, man, in some of those areas. Yeah, you got to know, like you, you brought up a good point on the jet boil being very efficient, but it's not going to be the stove that you're going to be melting snow to get drinking water with. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. So before we end this, I know you kind of told a story that I really enjoyed on the trail. It sounds like your partner um, was pretty uh, amazed by your ability to go off trail and uh, your ability to uh, pay attention to what was your surroundings with wildlife and you know, maybe kind of touch on that little story. I think it's a it's a great story on how you guys would uh, go off trail and and do what I call cross country and yeah. and how you kind of taught him about uh, animal sign and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, to maybe set the parameters of the conversation, I think we were talking about like you know what came first was my love for hiking and backpacking or hunting and. I, I think I kind of responded with, dude, it kind of all came at the same time. Like I'm, I'm in both camps, and I, I really enjoy backcountry hunting, and I really enjoy just going backpacking. And uh, one of the things I'm trying to do is kind of bridge that gap between the two worlds. And, and an example of that was the guy that I was hunting or, or hiking with on the PCT, he was from Jersey, awesome guy. He was a city guy, and he, here he was. Um, he'd never hunted before. He never had experience on long distance trails, um, in that kind of setting and being in the wilderness that deep. And so he came on the trail and his, his awareness for his surroundings was like, you know, it's pretty good. But I mean, for the most part, it was pretty vanilla. And here I am hiking up the trail and my eyes are glued to the trail, man. I'm looking at like, was this bush nibbled on? <laughs> like, Oh, I wonder what the, okay, they're eating this. And, you know, I'd see like little deer tracks and, and then I'd be like, Hey man, this is, you can tell this is a, a larger animal. This is a bear, you know, Oh, this dropping, this is a buck, this is a doe. And he's looking at me and he's like, what the heck are you freaking talking about? <laughs> and, and I'm like, well, dude, I'm, I'm, I, I hear, I have this like knowledge I've taken for, take it for granted that I can, I'm sitting here telling him I'm like, Oh, there's deer in this area. Oh man, there's not a lot of deer in this area. That's really strange. I wonder why. And, and so by the end of the trail, you know, he's sitting there, um, he's like, dude, hey, hey, look, there's deer prints. There's deer in the there's deer in the area. And here I took this guy that like had no idea what hunting, had no connection to hunting, and and here I was able to take my hunting um, experience and kind of inject it into his life to where, by the time he left the trail, he was seeing the wilderness differently than how he had when he started. And not only that, so he was seeing what the animals were doing, how they were using the trail system, both their trail system and our trail system that we built. But also, uh, he was he was just seeing things through the eyes of like an an interactive member of the wilderness, I guess. And it was just super interesting. I don't know. Does that answer the question? Like, it was super interesting yeah. to to like he, see that that change. Yeah, you and opened he, his eyes up to that world you're talking about, right? Absolutely, right. Well, and then and, when we went off trail, his confidence level, you know, he so to the to the off trail uh, comment. You know, 
there's a lot of times when we were like, hey, the trails closed down or there's snow and we'd come around. He's like, dude, we got to turn back. And I'm like, no, dude, we, look at the map. We can come down here and we can loop around and see the trail zigzags this way. It's like we can just intersect the trail and get on with our lives. And he's like, are you sure that's going to work? And I'm like, yeah, uh, the, ma- the, the, the map is right here, dude. We just have to follow the contour lines. These are all things that anyone listening to this podcast is like, yeah, duh. You just follow <laughs> the contour lines and the map and, and you just build yourself parameters and you hit it and you're like, cool, boom, there's the trail. And we d- I did that with him the first time. He's like, Emery, he's like, are, are you sure that we're going the right direction? I'm like, yes, bro, we're good. He's like, how do you know where the trail's at? And when we successfully hit the trails time and time again, his mind was just like, his confidence goes up, you know? And he's like, whoa, cool. Like I'm seeing, I'm seeing, now I'm seeing this differently. And, and I guess, you know, you don't have to use trails all the time and you can kind of be creative. And those things I kind of took for granted growing up hunting. And now I'm able to pass that on to like this guy where I'm like, I taught him these skills that could possibly one day get him out of a really hair situation we had fires cropping up on us and things were we were seeing smoke billing over ridges and we sat down and we game planned in southern oregon i'm like bro if we turn this corner and there's a wildfire we're dropping down this drainage and we're hiking five miles to this creek and going down this way and there's a road these are our barriers and he's like are you sure and i'm like absolutely we didn't have to do it but he i mean what if there's a lot of guys out there that a lot of hikers that don't have those skills those hard skills and I think that's where we as hunters can come in and be like, let me teach you about this. Let me show you this natural world that you're unaware of. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, and I think that's a great segue to to just transition a little bit into how you found traditional archery and and you know what that means to you at this point. I found traditional archery through this desire to want to kind of get that back to the basics. Um I, I always had this affinity for like, you know, really traditional methods of doing things. And, and I was, my bow was really getting old and I was like, oh, man, I don't want to spend thousand dollars on a, on a compound bow and all these different accessories. And I was like, you know, I like the idea of traditional and I, I kind of got my arrow set up and my bow and I'm, you know, probably a hack at it. My first time <laughs> hunting and you know, it's funny, your <laughs> tread quest, right? It's, I'm still on my quest, man. Like We, we all I, are. Yeah, I'm yeah. still on it because I'm like, this thing is like addicting. I mean, I can't, I'm, I'm trying to master it and I'm trying to get better at it. And when I, when I entered the woods for the first time with a traditional bow, my, I, the things that I hoped for were better awareness of my surroundings, um, better being intentional about where I'm at and what I'm doing. And then just a a closer experience with the animals I'm interacting with. And I got that in so much more. And I have yet to make a a harvest with a traditional bow yet. But I honestly can tell you, like, whether it's this year or it's in 20 years, I feel like that that quest is worth it. That, that like, path is 100% worth it because we talked – I called in this bull last time we spoke. I called it into, like, 15 yards, and that was – amazing i didn't get a shot at it but i might as well have like i didn't take it out of the woods that day but i i took it with my you know i brought it with my memory and i was like you know that was just as good as is harvesting and i can only imagine is if i was able to take the bull with a traditional setup um yeah i guess so my affinity for traditional archery is just that connect that more next level of connection with uh the, the the natural world like where i'm positioning myself having to think closer 
and better and, and outwit the animal. And, and hopefully one day the pinnacle of that, that uh, hunt is a successful harvest. And when that happens, dude, <laughs> I'm going to be super pumped. That's yeah, awesome. I think you you said that well. Next level, and those close encounters they they it forces you to dig deeper and it forces you to become better. And so once you do connect, it's not that you just connected. You, you've you've learned a skill set that is going to set you up for success time time in and time out because you you've been forced to to learn that. Yep, and it's and that's the hunt, right? Like that's I think that's why we do it. You know. We can say that we, the, 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 the final, the fatal shot is like the pinnacle of that moment of all those things that you've put into place. But really, I mean, the hunt is, it could be years of a hunt. You know, you're, you're learning an area, you're getting used to it. You're learning the animal um, behaviors and where you need to be and when. And to me, that's kind of what I, that's now the, the next chapter of my hunting life is like, how can I get better at that? Like, how can I get better at shooting to, to, to make sure when that moment comes, it's done the right way. And how do I get myself in a position to do it? And I think that's the most incredible part about traditional archery. It changes, it completely flips your, your, how you're seeing things. And that's, I, once I walked out of the woods for the first time with a trad bow, I was like, yeah, we're done here. Like this is happening all the time. (laughs) So awesome. So, uh, on that note, uh, Emery uh, is a super gracious guy. He's got some uh, really cool news. Uh, he's decided, as we talked about being minimalists and uh, unloading and get rid of things we don't use, uh, Emery's going to, he's got a donation for us, for our listeners. Yeah. Um, so tell us about uh, w- what you have to give away to our listeners, Emery. So a few years ago, I picked up a, when I was getting into traditional archery, I, I was trying out different bows and I picked up a bear Montana longbow. Um, it's a 50 pound bow and this thing is in like pristine shape. Um, it's a blast to shoot. If you've ever shot a longbow compared to like a recurve, there's a, man, I was shocked at the difference. It just feels so good. And, and I'm sitting here looking at this bow in my basement and I'm like, you know what? Someone needs to use this thing. And I thought this would be a good good way to kind of get traditional into the hands of someone that's looking to get into, into the sport or the, the, the hunting technique to just kind of say, Hey, let's give this bow away to, to a listener that is looking to do this thing. And I'd be great to like partner up with you guys to do that kind of thing. Man, that's, that's super awesome of you. Our listeners are going to appreciate it. So I think how we're going to go ahead and do this is we're going to have you guys go over to, uh, the byland uh, Instagram page and you have, yeah, you're on Instagram, right? Instagram. Yep. That's yep. my main source of so- yep. social media. So go over and, uh, subscribe and, uh, check him out on Instagram. Go over to his podcast on iTunes mm-hmm. and subscribe there and leave him a five star review. <laughs> And a message. James doesn't mess around. Uh, he just goes with five stars. Right to the if you leave him a four and a half star review, you're not getting in, I guess. You're not getting it. We want we want five star review. <laughs> and uh and uh, we we want him to get a get a review there. And we want you to go to this particular podcast and leave us a review on our iTunes page. Uh and leave us a five star review. <laughs> 
So I know I'm asking a lot of you guys. So uh, many stars. Yeah, there's a lot, lot to ask here. We're asking for a, uh, a, a uh, iTunes five-star review on this podcast. We're asking for a five-star review on any episode from the Byland, and you need to say something about the Trad Quest on there so we know who you are. And we need you to go and subscribe and like the Byland Instagram page. But we're, he's giving away a Bear Montana 50-pound longbow. I mean, this is awesome. This is yeah. huge. So if you guys go do and do that, um, how, how long should we give him, Bob? Let's give him, I think the last one we gave him uh, three weeks or something, right? So yeah. maybe we okay. give him till. Uh, the end of April or something? Middle of April? What do you think? What's a good day in April? Well, how about... Are you there? you looking at a yeah. calendar? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm looking at it. <laughs> it's the planning process. Yeah. We can edit this part out, I guess, because yep. this yeah, is very absolutely. highly technical. <laughs> let's, 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 uh, let's give it away after Easter. There you go. Awesome. Well, we really appreciate uh, you giving us the time and sharing your adventures with us and the bow giveaway. That's uh, that's really big of you. Yeah, and, and you guys, we, our listeners, go over. He's got a ton of awesome podcasts on backpacking. So if you are getting into it, this is your first year, whether you've been doing it for a long time, he's got a lot of the, the backpacking side of things to help you lighten up your pack for this year's hunting season. So get over it. Just B-Y-L-A-N-D, Buy Land Podcast. Find it wherever you're finding this. And uh, Emery, thanks again, man. You are just a super awesome guy, and we look forward to talking to you again. Dude, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And 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 if anyone has any questions, I love it when I get emails from people. I, I go away. I just start word vomiting all over the email. So <laughs> if anyone has any questions that like how it applies to their scenario, they can always hit me up. My email address is on the website and uh, yeah. And the website Thanks is so much for having me on. Yeah. And your website is byland at co and you, and you're doing some right. You're doing some blogging on there too, right? Yeah. So there's blog, there's a blog in the podcast and uh, yeah, right there at the homepage byland.co and you'll find me. Awesome. Thanks again. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot. Once again, we'd like to thank the listeners. And as you know, we're going to give back to the listeners on this one. Thanks to Emery at Byland Podcast. We're doing a bow giveaway. Go ahead and tell all your friends to check out the podcast and enter to win this awesome Bear Montana Longbow. I think it's a 50-pounder. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play. Leave us a five star review. Go over and leave Byland Podcast a five star review and or uh, a chance to win this longbow. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, tradquest.com. Keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight. Thank you.